If you take your Bibles, you can turn along with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Our text this morning is from verse 7 through 17. Yes, there's one verse left after today. Come back next week for that. Very few things of great and lasting significance are ever accomplished by a single individual working alone. In order for anything of great significance to be accomplished, it almost always requires a team. The race to the moon required untold numbers of engineers, astronauts, mathematicians, technicians, and support staff, not to mention a tax-paying public to pay for the trip. A best-selling author may write in total seclusion, but you can be sure she has a team of editors, publishers, and marketers to help ensure the book is of highest quality and has the widest reading public. Even an artist is never truly alone at his easel. Someone must make the paints and manufacture the brushes and the canvas, provide the space in the gallery, not to mention all the other artists who provided instruction and influence and inspiration along the way. Next month will mark the 505th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. This great Reformation is often understandably attributed to Martin Luther. And yes, even though Martin Luther single-handedly hammered his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, even he was never truly alone. He was strongly influenced by the writings and lives of others, including Paul and Augustine and Huss and Erasmus and many others. Luther was also early on counseled by his friend and mentor, Johann von Staupitz, and later on by his good friend and fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon. Luther's writings were mass printed on the printing press developed by Gutenberg, They were richly illustrated and made even more popular with the beautiful woodcuts created by artist Lucas Cranach. Luther was financially supported and protected by Frederick the Wise, and he was continually encouraged and guided by his wife's wisdom, Katie, and perpetually sustained by her excellent homemade beer, (laughs) which helped to keep him happy and regular. what he said. (laughs) So even though Luther stood alone at the Diet of Worms saying, here I stand, I can do no other. And even though it was said of Luther that it was Luther contra mundum, Luther against the world, nevertheless, even Luther ultimately had a team. 
Very few things of any lasting consequence or significance were ever accomplished by an individual acting completely alone. The great exception to that would be, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ as he accomplished our redemption. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, is a great illustration of the value of teamwork. The Fellowship of the Ring was a team of nine dedicated individuals committed to the destruction of the one ring by throwing it into the fires of Mount Doom. A team consisting of four hobbits, an elf, a dwarf, two men, and a wizard. All very different, all with different parts to play in the accomplishment of the one great mission. This morning we're going to see another team that used their varied abilities and skills and backgrounds and giftings to accomplish a monumental mission. But this is no tale of fantasy. This is the real life story of the Apostle Paul and his real world team of gifted and willing partners in ministry dedicated to the mission of spreading the gospel, planting churches, training up spiritual leaders, and discipling Christians. So look with me as we look at the team of the Apostle Paul, Team Paul, in Colossians chapter 4 beginning in verse 7, and I'll read through verse 17. The Apostle Paul continues writing, and he says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. They have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy in not only calling us into salvation, 
through the forgiveness of sins, but also in calling us unto service, to ministry, to one another, to unbelievers, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the extending of the gospel. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy in calling us into service. Lord, thank you for placing the lonely in families, for placing us in teams, for calling us not to live life in isolation from one another, but in community with one another, a community committed to the same mission, serving the same king, seeking to achieve the same end, to glorify God through the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ, the extension of the gospel, and the building up of the saints. Show us, Lord, the value of teamwork in the accomplishment of your mission. And help us, Lord, to be part of the team. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. New Testament scholars call this portion of Paul's letter to the Colossians an epistolary conclusion. Like the opening greetings that often precede the body of a letter, these closing remarks follow the customary letter-writing conventions of the day. With closing words of greeting, final remarks, and even a complimentary close. And we might be tempted to think that this part of Paul's letter is largely inconsequential, of no real value to us. We might even be tempted to skip past it, to just skip over it, to fly through it in our Bible reading and just go ahead and move on to 1 Thessalonians, which is what comes next as our Bibles are laid out before us. We might think of these portions of Scripture like some people think about the Midwest. It's just flyover country to get to the good bits. But that would be a great mistake. For what Paul writes here tells us much about his life and ministry and circumstances. Tells us much that many of his own direct statements do not. You see, every verse of Scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God and is therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness So even these closing bits that might seem mundane or irrelevant to us are actually also the very word of God intended for our blessing and growth in the Lord. So let's look then at these closing remarks of the Apostle Paul and find out what God has for us. This morning we're going to first survey Paul's team members And then summarize a few of the lessons that can be learned. We're going to survey the team members and then summarize a few lessons. Now there are ten team members mentioned. And we're going to go through them one by one. 
survey quickly, hopefully, and then learn some lessons at the end. But there are lessons to be learned all along the way, I assure you. So surveying Paul's team members, first of all. First, we hear of this man named Tychicus in verses 7 and 8. Paul begins to close out this letter of his by naming his teammate Tychicus. Tychicus was a Gentile, a non-Jew from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he had accompanied Paul from there, Asia Minor, and is first mentioned in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, along with others who were with Paul on his second missionary journey. And now his, here is Tychicus again at Paul's side, this time in Rome, as Paul is captive, being held under house arrest. Paul refers to Tychicus as his beloved brother, a faithful servant and a fellow bondservant in the Lord. This last term, fellow bondservant in the Lord, could be more literally translated fellow slave of Christ in the Lord. Paul considered himself, of course, a slave of Christ, and he considered Tychicus as a fellow slave in the Lord. Tychicus' life as a slave of Christ was not his own. His life was about doing his master's bidding, serving his master well and faithfully. Paul is sending Tychicus to Colossae with information. Information in the form of this letter to the Colossians. Tychicus will bring it to them. And along with bringing the letter, Tychicus will be able to bring in his own eyewitness testimony, his firsthand experience with Paul and how he's doing and what circumstances are going on and all the latest news. Because even though Paul is imprisoned in Rome, nevertheless, that cell, as it were, of confinement serves as ground zero in the advancement of the gospel at this time. And Tychicus will be able to share with them all that's going on, all the news that he knows, and fill in the gaps that perhaps Paul's letter doesn't fully expand on. Tychicus will be able to tell them all about Paul's imprisonment and how they can continually be praying for him. Look back with me at verses 3 and 4, Colossians 4, 3 and 4. Pray at the same time for us as well, Paul says, that God will open to us a door for the words so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul, in writing this letter to them and in Tychicus bringing it to them, Paul is asking them to pray for him. To pray for gospel advance and to pray for effectiveness as servants of the gospel and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tychicus will be able to fill in the gaps of their understanding and help them pray in a more informed way for the advancement of the gospel through Paul's imprisonment. This is similar to what Paul wrote around the same time to the Philippians. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. 
and verse 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What were Paul's circumstances? He was imprisoned. And yet these circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. As Paul would say elsewhere, the word of God is not bound or chained. Even though Paul is imprisoned, the word of God goes forth. The gospel goes forth, even penetrating the Praetorian Guard. And so Paul is asking through Tychicus and the delivery of this letter and other information that the Colossians would be praying and partnering with Paul in gospel advance through prayer. And so this news from Tychicus would bring them great encouragement Tychicus here is a team member of the Apostle Paul. He's a mailman. You might say that's of no great significance or consequence. But Paul knows that when this letter is delivered, the church will go to work in prayer on his behalf and on behalf of the gospel. Tychicus is vital to the mission. A vital member of the team. Next we have Onesimus. Verse 9, Onesimus, that name may sound familiar to you. He is the chief concern in the letter Paul wrote around the same time as he wrote to the Colossians, the letter of Philemon. Paul wrote to Philemon, who lived in Colossae, because one of his slaves had run away, had gotten saved, and was now serving as an assistant to the Apostle Paul in Rome during his imprisonment. Paul writes to Philemon, and he asks for Philemon to release this slave from service. And Paul promises to recompense Philemon for his financial loss, if that's necessary. That runaway slave's name was, of course, Onesimus. Like Tychicus, Onesimus was also a Gentile. And also like Tychicus, Paul calls him a beloved brother. He's a Christian. A faithful and beloved brother in the Lord. Even though Onesimus is a slave, a runaway slave at that, Paul calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Colossians 3, 10 and 11, Paul said this about the distinctions that have been done away with because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says that we've put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Onesimus is no slave. He's no mere runaway slave. He is Paul's dearly loved brother in Christ. A spiritual peer. The great apostle Paul and the runaway slave Onesimus found common ground at the foot of the cross. Tychicus 
will go with Onesimus back to Colossae. That had to be tough for Onesimus. The very city he had escaped from, he would see his master again. Tychicus will carry this letter from Paul along with Onesimus back to Philemon. If you look at Philemon chapter or verses 10 through 14, there's only one chapter in Philemon. It's real short. Philemon 10 through 14, Paul writes, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will." Paul's doing the hard sell. He wants Onesimus set free because he's useful to Paul for the gospel. He's a vital team member. Aristarchus comes next in verse 10. Aristarchus was a Macedonian Jew from Thessalonica. And he was a traveling companion of Paul. He's mentioned multiple times in Acts, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 27. Aristarchus here sends his greetings. This is the first set of greetings that comes from the team. Since Tychicus and Onesimus will be traveling to Colossae, In person, there's no need for them to send greetings. They will deliver their greetings in person. But beginning with Aristarchus, Paul sends greetings from those who are with him in Rome and who will not be visiting Colossae anytime soon. These greetings should not be thought of as merely customary, obligatory, meaningless greetings. Greetings and salutations. Nothing like that. No, these are greetings that are in the Lord. Greetings that express sincere Christian care, concern, and partnership in ministry. We want you to know we haven't forgotten about you, that we appreciate you, that we love you, and so we send you greetings. Paul describes Aristarchus here as his fellow prisoner or fellow captive. Although it's possible he too was under house arrest along with Paul, it's more likely that because Aristarchus was so close to Paul, so glued to his side, serving at his side night and day, it was as though Aristarchus was also a prisoner along with Paul. He might as well have been. He didn't go anywhere. He never left Paul's side. And so it's as though he's a fellow prisoner. If Paul was going to be a prisoner, Aristarchus says, well, I'll be one too. He was a vital member of the team and a great encouragement to the apostle. Next comes Mark. This also in verse 10. Mark is, of course, John Mark, who was also one of Jesus' disciples. 
a close associate with Peter and would eventually be the one who would write the gospel of Mark, according to Mark, using Peter as his primary source material. And he would assist Peter in establishing a church in Rome, according to 1 Peter 5.13. Mark's mother hosted meetings of Christians in her home in Jerusalem, according to Acts 12.12. Mark, or John Mark, was a cousin to Barnabas, who was Paul's right-hand man on his first missionary journey. And John Mark had a accompanied them both on that first missionary endeavor. And of course, that's when things got a little hairy. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. We're going to go back now, retrace our steps, follow up, and encourage those who come to know the Lord. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You see, Acts 13.13 tells us that Mark returned to Jerusalem. He left them mid-trip, said, I got to go back. And Paul says, no, you can't go back. You got to stay with us. No, I got to go back. John Mark left them. Paul didn't forget that. Acts 15.39 says, There occurred such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they separated from one another. The great missionary team was now separated. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. It brought a rift between Paul and Barnabas. John Mark did. No doubt it was a painful parting between these two brothers, Paul and Barnabas, who had done so much in service to the Lord together. But what's beautiful about this is that now, years later, Paul sees the usefulness and proven faithfulness of Mark. A decade has passed. Which reminds us that people don't stay put. We might have them frozen in time in our minds. And we may think that they're the same old person they've always been. But we can grow. If we can grow, they can grow. So Paul urges here in Colossians, the the Colossian believers, that if Mark comes to them, they are to welcome him with open arms. Later on, during a second Roman imprisonment, near the end of Paul's life, he will write these words to Timothy. He'll say, only Luke is with me in 2 Timothy 4.11. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Those hurts have been healed. The suspicions have gone away. It reminds us that we shouldn't write people off too quickly who disappoint us. And we should leave room for the grace of God to work in their life. That though they may have disappointed the team at one point, they can still have future usefulness to the team down the road. Next, 
Jesus, who is also called Justice, verse 11. Jesus was a common name. And so this Jesus also had another name to distinguish him from, oh, I don't know, maybe another Jesus of importance. And so his other name was Justice. Two great names. We know next to nothing about this man. He's never mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And yet here he is in Rome serving Paul during his imprisonment. Significant enough to Paul that he mentions him. And it reminds us that there are many, many people who serve the Lord in obscurity. We know next to nothing about them and maybe nothing at all, but God sees and God knows and God will reward them for their every act of service in His name. These last three names, Jesus who is called Justice, Mark and Aristarchus are the only Jewish believers and thus from the circumcision who were currently serving Paul in Rome at this time. All the rest were Gentile Christians. And the end of verse 11 says that they had proven to be an encouragement to Paul in the midst of his imprisonment. And so we shouldn't forget that just our very presence can be an encouragement at times. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You can just be present. And that is an aid and a comfort in times of crisis. Next is Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras. He was mentioned at the start of this letter in chapter 1 and verse 7. He's a Gentile, a non-Jew, and a native of Colossae. He's one of your number, Paul says. He had been converted at some point, perhaps under the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and he began to spread the gospel back in his hometown of Colossae, and he helped to plant the church there. Epaphras is the one who brought word to Paul in Rome about the situation of the church in Colossae and about the false teachers and other things that were going on there, which occasioned the writing of this letter. Paul calls him a bond slave of Jesus Christ. A slave of Christ is also what he called Tychicus and so often referred to himself as well as Timothy as slaves of Christ. Like Paul, Epaphras was always laboring earnestly for them in his prayers. That's what he says here. That they might stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God, which is a virtual mirror of Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And Epaphras' ministry of seeking to establish them and complete them in Christ is virtually the same method of ministry that Paul describes in chapter 1 and verse 28. We proclaim Christ admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul's mission was the same as Epaphras' mission. In verse 13, Paul assures them that Epaphras has great painstaking concern for them, and not only for them, but for all the churches at the nearby towns of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Next comes Luke. In verse 14, Luke, it's a good name. 
a Gentile believer. He is, Paul says here, the beloved physician. You can sense the warmth there and the trust. Luke, of course, was, in addition to being a physician, much beloved, was also a careful historian of the life of Jesus and of the early church and the development and spread of the gospel. Of course, he's the author of the Gospel of Luke and of the book of Acts. A longtime companion of the Apostle Paul, traveled with Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Those are the we sections of Acts. No doubt Luke was not only ministering to Paul and the team spiritually, but he was also likely caring for them physically, using his knowledge and skills and resources and background in medical training, all in service to the gospel and to help the team. Next comes Demas. Ironically, listed on the same line as Luke. It's quite interesting to see Luke and Demas mentioned within the same breath. They will be placed side by side again in the letter to Philemon. Philemon 24. Here is Demas in the company of great spiritual giants, Paul, Luke, John, Mark, Epaphras, and yet Demas would not finish the race that he had begun. He would not finish the race at all, as far as we know. Paul will sadly later write in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas abandoned the team. He abandoned the mission. He found a new purpose in life. And it led to his destruction. The example of Demas here serves as a cautionary tale that it's not just important how you start in the faith, but that you also endure to the end and actually cross the finish line. Demas ultimately chose the world over Jesus and so quit the race and deserted Paul when things got really tough. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Persevere in these things. For as you do, this will ensure salvation both for yourself And for those who hear you, Demas did not persevere in these things. Next comes Nympha, verse 15. Paul urges the Colossians to greet the church at Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. Nympha, possibly a wealthy widow. Definitely someone who used the resources God had given her to support the work of the church and the spread of the gospel. She showed hospitality by hosting the church in her home. No doubt that came at great cost to her, financially, socially. Paul considered Nympha a a vital team member, even though she was far away. 
She's not present, but she's part of the team. She's part of what God is doing to spread the gospel and establish the church. In verse 16, Paul makes it clear that he wants the Colossians to also read his letter that is coming to them from the Laodiceans. And that the Laodiceans should read the letter that is being sent to the Colossians. So they're to be exchanging these letters. Paul is writing, as it were, open letters to these churches that are to be passed around and shared for the strengthening of the church. Now what, you may ask, is the letter to the Laodiceans? Where's that one? You can search in vain for that in your Bibles. Well, it's possible. It's a letter. Paul wrote many letters, no doubt, that were not inspired of God. He wrote grocery lists and other things that weren't inspired by God. And other matters of personal communication that weren't inspired by God. So it's possible it was a letter like that. More than likely, this is actually the letter we know as Ephesians. A circular letter intended to be shared and circulated among all the churches. And that's what the early churches did. They would read these letters aloud before the gathered church, the public reading of Scripture. And they shared these letters with each other, eventually hand-copying them word by word so that they might have their own copy. And the letter that was to the Laodiceans eventually became known as the letter to the Ephesians. Next comes Archippus, verse 17. He was a resident of Colossae as well. That was his hometown. And a co-recipient of the letter to Philemon, according to Philemon 2. Like Nympha, Paul considers him a team member, even though he's far away. Paul calls on the church at Colossae there to pass on a message to him. Make sure he gets this message. I have a special message for him. Be careful to fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord, Archippus. Wow. Talk about getting singled out. We don't know if he needed a little correction. Or maybe this was a word of encouragement. To a young and immature and inexperienced pastor? We don't know. But Paul wants to make sure this message gets to him. Archippus was under the same divine obligation that Paul was to fulfill the ministry Jesus had entrusted to him. Paul had talked about this obligation in Colossians 1.25 of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God Paul isn't calling Archippus to anything that he wasn't also called to he's just reminding him of the divine obligation and what it means to be a servant of the Lord Well, this is Paul's team, Team Paul. 
And although his own freedoms and movements are significantly hindered at this time, he has a team to help advance the cause and accomplish the mission. Let me ask you this morning, are you part of the team? First of all, are you a Christian? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that Jesus is your Savior? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life and that you have the hope of heaven? If you don't know, if there's any doubt in your mind, you can be certain today by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's as simple as turning from your sin and self-assurance and turning to Jesus Christ and resting solely in him and his perfect sacrifice on your behalf. That's how you get on the team. Now, are you on the team? Are you contributing to the team? If so, how? Through your prayers? as so many of Paul's team members did? Through your faithful giving and your hospitality and support of those who are serving? It's a wonderful way to be part of the team. And by yourself being actively engaged in the ministry of discipleship, discipling others and being discipled, sharing the gospel with unbelievers, Supporting the work and being a part of the local church. All these are great ways to be part of the team. If you are a Christian, you have been equipped with gifts from the Spirit to contribute to the mission. Gifts of the Spirit so that you can do your part on the team. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game and be an active part of what God is doing. All right, so that's the survey of Paul's team. Let's summarize a few of the lessons. Summarize a few of the lessons. And I'm going to pull away three here. There's many more, but let's just look at three. First of all, the gospel has life-transforming power. The gospel has life-transforming power. Each one of these partners in gospel ministry had, by the power of the gospel, been rescued from the domain of darkness and had been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, as Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 13. By faith in Christ, they now had redemption, the forgiveness of sins, chapter 1, verse 14. Paul describes the Colossian believers' former way of life and their newfound redemption, a description that can fit any member of their team. Colossians 1.21 says this, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, Firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And here in that last little bit, we see the explanation for what happened to Demas, right? He didn't indeed continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. 
He was, in fact, moved away from the hope of the gospel that he had heard. But not for the rest of the members of the team. They were enduring. And their faith was firmly established and steadfast. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. It is the power that had changed the lives of all these people Paul has mentioned in these verses. Each of them, their stories are different, their backgrounds are different, their status is different. So many differences about them, but the one constant between them all is that Jesus Christ had changed their lives forever. Jesus Christ had come to them and saved them, radically changed their lives by the power of the gospel. I wonder, have you had that life-changing experience of the power of the gospel? Are you different than you otherwise would be? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, do so today. That's the first lesson. The gospel has life-transforming power. The second lesson, the gospel has people-uniting power. Creates a bond between believers. Think about how these very different people were now on the same team, advancing the same mission, giving their lives to the same cause. Jews and Gentiles... Serving on the same team, serving side by side, eating out of the same bowl. Men and women serving side by side, valuing each other and their contributions. A runaway slave and a medical doctor? Was there ever a more diverse and seemingly incompatible group thrown together in common cause? By all worldly and natural accounts, this team would never want to be in the same room together, let alone work side by side in common cause, let alone live together under difficult circumstances. And yet the gospel has a people uniting power. Former social, racial, and class divides have been bridged in Christ. So that there is now no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3.11 Has the gospel worked its way into your thinking about those things that naturally divide us? Do you understand and have you joyfully embraced the truth that in Christ we are all brothers and sisters united together in common bond of love and in service to Jesus Christ? Any differences that the world would acknowledge as being things that ought to divide us have now been destroyed. And the chasm that existed between us 
has been bridged. And we are brothers and sisters in the Lord in common cause, in service to him. Third lesson, and finally today. The gospel has purpose-giving power. Each one of these ministry partners that Paul mentions has found a new purpose in life. And it's the same purpose that Paul had. To serve the Lord Jesus and to advance the gospel. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says, Christ died for all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That is a declaration that all things have passed away. All things have become new. That there is now a purpose, a new purpose that the Apostle Paul has and that all those who are in Christ Jesus now have. Christ died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says something similar to the Colossians in 3.17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That is called having a new purpose. That is saying, whatever I do in word or or deed, I do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. My life has a focus and a purpose it didn't have before. What is your purpose in life? What are you living for? Have you experienced the purpose uniting power of the gospel? Beloved, there is no greater purpose in life than to live for Jesus Christ and the advancement of his gospel. And it is to this cause that Team Paul was committed. May the Lord make it so in our own lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we're reminded of so many faithful saints who've gone before us, most of the vast majority of whom we don't know anything about. And yet they lived and they served and they gave and they sacrificed and they died in service to you. Thank you for their example. Thank you for the very specific examples of Paul's team. It's this fellowship of Christians committed to the same great mission. The Lord using each of their unique backgrounds and circumstances and giftings to further the purposes of the gospel. Lord, you have the same designs for us. It matters not where we are along the rope of the tug of war. It matters that we are pulling. Help us to pull with all our might 
as part of the team that you've placed us on. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.